This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au I'm going to pray for us as we um, come to the Word this morning. If you've got a Bible, go to Acts chapter 11. We're going to look at the back half of Acts chapter 11 this morning, starting at verse 19. I'm going to pray. We're going to look at the Word together. Um, and then we're going to worship Jesus and hang out and have morning tea. Sounds like a plan, right? Let's, um, let me pray. God, I want to thank you for your, your goodness to us. I want to thank you for your generosity We thank you, God, for the people that you have blessed us with. And thank you for Steve and Rochelle. We thank you for the blessing that they have been, for their leadership of the Chippendale GC. Um, God, we're going to miss them when they go. So we pray that you might bless them with a new church family. We thank you for the job that you've um, provided for Steve down there. And as they go, Lord, would you continue to help them to be missionaries in the context that you've called them to, just a little bit south of us in Wollongong, that they would make Jesus famous there. Uh, God, we, we thank you for the, um, the finances that you have blessed us with at your church, for stirring your people here to give generously and sacrificially and joyfully. We pray that would be true of us, God. We pray that you would help us to invest in, in not just our church, but in this kingdom, in seeing the name of Jesus made famous in this city as we move forward. God, we pray that, um, that you would help us to be not just meeting these financial needs, but exceeding them so that we would have capacity to employ new staff next year, that we'd have capacity to continue to sow into this vision that we have. So God, we want to bring our needs before you, bring our vision before you. We know that you love our church way more than we do, and we pray that you would please provide. And Father, as we come before you in, our word, in your word now, we pray that you would soften our hearts We pray that you would help us to see the broadness, the bigness of your vision, God. To see churches planted, to see churches established, and to see church planters and missionaries sent. God, would you help us to see the part that we play in that this morning. And we pray it in the strong name of Jesus and God's people said, Amen. Amen. You know, as we planted Anchor Church, there were obviously a number of questions around why we were planting a church and of the necessity of church planting. A lot of people felt that church planting in Sydney was unnecessary. And there were a few critics and haters and naysayers. But the thing that drove us to church planting was that 92% at best of our city are facing a Christless eternity. 92%. And so what do, what do we mean that church planting is not necessary? Church planting is absolutely necessary, even if revival broke out tomorrow and all of our churches would be, would be full, every seat and every service would be full, we would still need thousands and thousands of new churches across this city. In fact, church planting, research has demonstrated that church planting is the most effective strategy to reach new people and to reach people with the gospel. Now, Australian research has demonstrated that as well. Australian research has demonstrated that church plants are just marginally, not much, but marginally better than an established church at engaging the culture, at reaching new people with the gospel as a new church is established in an area. And so church planting is necessary. But what I want to demonstrate this morning is it's not just pragmatic, it's actually essential to God's plans and purposes for His kingdom being established, for the darkness being pushed back, for disciples being made, and for the name of Jesus to be made famous. Church planting is essential to the plan and work of God. 
and as biblical. So that's what I want to do this morning. I want to help us see that this is what God is doing by His Spirit. He is a missionary church planting God. We're a part of a, a network called Acts 29. Now, if you flick in your Bibles, you won't find an Acts chapter 29. And that's intentional because the, 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 the impetus of the network is that we would continue to do what the church started to do in the book of Acts. And that is reach new places with the gospel by planting and establishing churches. And to date, there are 600 plus churches globally in the Acts 29 movement. And that has all occurred in the space of 17 years. In 17 years, Acts 29 started in 2000. 17 years, 600 plus churches have been planted globally. It's a wonderful move of God that we find ourselves in. And our vision at Anchor is to be a church planting church. A29's vision is a is a diverse global family of church planting churches. That's why we love being a part of that network because that is our vision to be a church planting church. If you're familiar with our five-year vision called Multiply, we want to see multiplication across every level and life of our church. So disciples making disciples, gospel communities planting new gospel communities, and churches planting new churches. That's what we want to be about, and we believe that we should do that because... That is what God is about. That is what the New Testament is about. And this morning we see the first church plant take place. We see the very first church plant after the church in Jerusalem is established. The church in Antioch is planted. And Antioch is a huge Gentile city. Let me give you some stats about Antioch. It was founded in 300 BC by one of Alexander the Great's um, very powerful, influential generals, and he named it after his father, Antiochus. He was a Greek man of Greek background. And Antioch became known as Antioch the Beautiful because it had incredible architecture and it was famous for this long, paved, beautiful boulevard that existed in the city. It was a Greek city. It was a cosmopolitan city of a population, they estimate, of half a million people. That's a massive city, even by today's standards. Half a million people, and it was very, very multi-ethnic. There was a large population of Jews that lived in Antioch. There were also a large population of Persians, Indians, and even some Chinese, which gave it the nickname, the Queen of the East. It was the third most significant city in the Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria. It was a city of um, religious plurality, of tolerance, and uh, along with that, of moral laxity. It was a city, in fact, like most cities that we see today. Most of our global cities share many of those same characteristics. In fact, it's very much like Sydney. And it's in this city, in Antioch, this like crazy mix of people and faiths and ideologies, it is in this city that a megachurch is planted and that megachurch becomes the hub and the HQ of further church planting and missionary sending to reach indeed the whole Roman Empire. And so the question I want to ask today is how can we be a church planting church like we see here in Antioch? And I think there are three essential ingredients that I want to draw us to this morning. Now, there's definitely more than that. You need more than just these three things. But that's what we see emerging from this passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 19. But let me say this. Acts is not a how-to manual. 
It's not a, this is how the early church did it, therefore we should do it exactly the same way. It's not a how-to manual, but these ingredients we find all over the scripture, all over the, this is the pattern we see in Jesus' ministry. This is the pattern we see as Paul and other missionaries go and preach the gospel and establish churches. And the three things are this. The first is, as they reach a city, they begin to speak the gospel. They speak the gospel or preach the, preach the good news of Jesus. The second is they begin to establish the new believers in the faith. And then the third is they send them out on mission to their city or they send them on to the next city to go and plant and establish a church there. So preach, establish, and send. Or win, build, send. Bring, build, send as other people have caught it. And all the crew people just silently cheered because that's their organization's strategy statement, win, build, send. And so here are the three things. Win, preach the gospel, build, establish the church, and send out missionaries and church planters. But let me just say that that's all strategy. All of that is a strategy of seeing the good news of Jesus go to the ends of the earth. There is a foundation that sits below a strategy like that that is essential, and that is the Spirit of God is essential to the mission. This is a move of God that happens here in Antioch. And we've already seen God at work as we've been walking our way through the book of Acts. And here we see the Holy Spirit planting a church. He is the one who moves. God is the one who moves by His Spirit to see a church established and planted. And we know that because in verse 21, Luke says, The hand of the Lord was at work. Have a look at verse 21 with me. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The hand of the Lord there is a metaphor for the power of God. And we've already seen that the power of God is definitely associated with the Spirit. And the evidence of God's power here is that people come to faith in Jesus. People in this highly pluralistic, multi-ethnic city come to faith in Jesus. People are converted in great numbers. In great numbers, it says there, people come to faith in Jesus. What Luke is doing here, he is demonstrating that as God has acted way back in Acts chapter 2, as the gospel flooded through Jerusalem, so too here God is acting as great numbers of people come to put their faith in Jesus. When the manifest power of God is at work, one of the signs of the evidences of that is people experiencing the the miracle of new birth, of regeneration, of coming to faith in Jesus. Why? Because that's a work of God. You and I have no ability or power in ourselves to move a person from death to life. Only God can do that by His Spirit to open blind eyes. That's why we say here at Anchor that the measure of success is not necessarily people coming to faith. That is, that is success. But the measure of success for us is that we've been faithful to the task of speaking the good news of Jesus to our neighbors, our colleagues, our friends, and our family. But here's the deal. Sometimes I think we can make the sovereignty of God an excuse for our lack of fruitfulness in mission and evangelism and discipleship. We say, well, God's sovereign. That's why we're not seeing many people come to faith. We, we blame God 
Because he, like, that's the thing that we lean on and, and we fail to evaluate our methods, our strategies. We fail to, to turn that back on ourselves and think, well, am I actually partnered in this? Am I actually engaged in the mission? Am I actually speaking the gospel? Am I saying it right? Am I saying it in a way that people can hear it? Or am I just saying, well, we don't see that happening because God's sovereign. One of the signs, one of the evidences of a move of God is that people come to faith in Jesus. And this, in Antioch, is a move of God. It's a significant outpouring of the Spirit on this city. Now, we've, we've already seen God at work in Acts. We've seen His hand, His power at work. And providentially, we've seen that taking place as He scatters the church as a result of persecution. Come back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8 with me. This is what it says. As Stephen is murdered for preaching the good news of Jesus, and there is standing Saul, or Paul, who was approved of his, his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all, that is the Christians, were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. There's a small little group of people that stayed, and a lot of the Christians fled and left as exiles and refugees running from this persecution. And then we get to Luke, takes us all the way from 8.1 all the way up to 11.19, and he connects those two things. And in 11.19 says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. And so you see what's happened here is that as a result of Saul or Paul's persecution of the church and the scattering of God's people, they go Judea, Samaria. And then Luke tells us that a little bit later on, potentially some, you know, maybe eight years later, these people end up going as far north as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch. And in Antioch, this is where God decides he's going to establish a HQ for church planting and mission sending. But the deal is that God in his infinite wisdom and his plan and his providence has allowed this church to suffer, to experience persecution so that people would be scattered and as they scatter, would take the good news of Jesus with them. That's why I said a few weeks ago, even our suffering can be our sending. And you may find yourself in a season of suffering right now and think, God, why are you doing this? I'm sure the early church in the whirlwind of what God was doing was asking the same question. God, what is happening here? Even our suffering can be our sending. And it was certainly the case for the first Christians here. God is sending missionaries and he's using the vehicle of Saul's persecution of the church to achieve his purposes. The hand of the Lord was on them. God is at work. The Spirit is at work. This is his mission. And this might sound like I'm laboring the point a bit, but... I just want to say, do you realize that God is the original missionary? The Spirit is the OG church planter. No one else did it before he did. God is invested in his mission. He's been doing it since Genesis 3. We saw that a few weeks ago as we looked at his plan and purpose for the nations. God is a missionary God. His hand is at work. 
And what we need under strategy and plans is a move of God. That's what we need more than anything else in our city. Now, tell you what, our church, I think we're actually pretty good at strategy and vision and direction and planning and dreaming. And I think we're pretty good at that. Like we've got a whiteboard in our office that gets scribbled on and rubbed off and scribbled on and all those ideas are recorded and we do maybe one-tenth of those ideas. We're good at strategy. I wonder if we're good at being hungry and pleading with God that he would pour out his spirit on our city. And so underneath these three strategies of win, build, send, there must be a foundation of prayerfulness of a church, of a church that is pleading with God, of God doing his thing as we follow the lead of God. This is his mission. And so let's, we're going to look at these three things now. Speak the gospel, establish the church, and then send them out. Firstly, reaching the culture with bold gospel speaking. Let's have a look at verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. This is innovative evangelism. No one else has been doing this up until this point except for Peter and Philip. And we don't even know if these brothers here knew of the story of Peter uh, preaching the gospel to Cornelius and Philip speaking the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch. But these guys innovatively and compelled by the Spirit and hopefully in obedience to the commands of Jesus have started to take the good news outside of the ethnic grouping of Jews to the Hellenists, to the Greeks. Now, that probably, that word, the Hellenists there, probably just means people with a Greek cultural background. It would be the equivalent of saying, and they spoke the gospel to the Australians. Now, who are the Australians? We're a very multi-ethnic society. It could be people from all sorts of ethnic backgrounds, but we identify culturally as Australians. And that's what he's saying here is the gospel was spoken to those who spoke Greek and were culturally Greek irrespective of their ethnic background. Now that's significant, isn't it, because of what we learned a few weeks ago. The good news goes out in this multi-ethnic city and the focus of the message that they spoke, a contextualized message was the Lord Jesus. Remember, in the past, as the good news is being preached by the apostles and others, they focus on Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah, the the promised Old Testament one who would come. But here, as we step outside of the Jewish people, they contextualize the message and they call Jesus Lord. Jesus is Lord. Now, to be sure, he is both Lord and Christ. He's not either or. He is both. Both of those things are true. But to a non-Jewish speaking, non-Jewish cultural background, Messiah is meaningless. They have no idea what that means. But they do know what Lord means. Because Lord was a word that was used in all of the cultic religious backgrounds of the first century. And so they come with a contextualized message. Jesus is Lord. He is God. And they know what that means. And as they preach the gospel, as they preach the good news, a church is planted in Antioch as people respond, as people put their trust in Jesus. Church planting is the fruit 
of mission. Church planting is the fruit of discipleship and evangelism. And the best, although not the only version of church planting, but the best church planting is churches that are planted as they are birthed out of the fruit of missionary endeavors. Now I say the best, not the only, because the reality is our church was planted, and yes, we've got a strong push for mission, but I think 80 or 76% of you who have joined our church have joined us from another church. And the remainder of you have either come back from not being at church for a season or have never really been a part of a church before. But the, the best type of church planting is churches that are planted as the result or the fruits of mission. And sometimes that doesn't look like this. Often across the world, particularly in closed countries, that looks far more like your gospel community. That's the church for them. And they go and they baptize believers in the bathtub or in a bucket and they preach the gospel quietly because they're afraid of persecution. Church planting can happen in all sorts of contexts, places, and it looks very different. But here, church planting happens. It is the result of speaking the gospel of mission, of making disciples. When I was at college, I remember one of my Bible college lecturers identifying as an accidental church planter. He was a missionary. And he went and he did mission. He preached the gospel amongst the people groups of Turkey. And when he did that, what happened? Some people came to faith and started believing in Jesus. And then he realized, now what do I do? I've got to start a church. I've got to start discipling these people. I need to start teaching them the Bible. I need to establish them in the faith. And so he, he had in the back of his mind, I'm going to be a missionary. He had no thought that he was ever going to have to plant, start a church and preach the Bible and establish people in the faith. And I think the true, it's, it's equally true of many church planters. They plant a church because they love the idea of planting a church and it, it just fires up all of their entrepreneurial giftings and so they get involved and then all of a sudden they realize that if they want to reach people, they need to do some evangelism and mission. And so they're church planters who are accidental evangelists and missionaries. But the reality is the church was always meant to be about mission and mission is always supposed to birth new churches, new communities. And so I want to challenge us, Anchor, as we think about what God has called us to in our city, not just to be satisfied to gather together, to reshuffle the statistics of church attendance here in Sydney, but to be engaged in the mission of speaking the good news of Jesus so that new churches would be established, so that we would fill this building and have to go and send people off to plant new churches somewhere else. I want our church to be known. And, and when I say that, I don't mean in a, in a prideful sense, like I, anger. You know, I, I, I want our church to, to be known, to have a reputation for a church that has missionary zeal and cultural engagement and, and bold speaking of the gospel. Because that is what produces healthy, long-term church planting that will see our city radically transformed. So the first strategy step is to step into the culture and to speak the good news of, God, of the gospel and to engage the culture with Christ. That's step number one. The second thing is to build the church, to establish the believers in the faith. Have a look at verse 22. Verse 22. The report of this came, that, that is the report of 
um, these brothers preaching the good news and, the, and, and heaps of people coming to faith and a church being planted. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Again, the church is continuing to grow. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, that is Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So here's Barnabas, right? Remember Barnabas, his nickname is Son of Encouragement. He is the encouraging one. And so the church, in their wisdom, sends Barnabas to go and encourage these new believers in the faith. And when he gets there and he sees the evidence of the hand of the Lord, the power of God at work, he rejoices, he's glad, and he encourages them. He lives up to his name. He strengthens them. He exhorts them to be steadfast, to persevere. The church has started well. And he wants them to continue. And so he encourages them. He, he nurtures them in the faith. And as they do this, even more people are becoming Christians. And I don't know what happened for Barnabas at that point. Maybe he realized that this gig was above his pay grade and he needed some recruits. But he went to search for Paul, for Saul. And he recruits him to this mission here of establishing this church. And for a whole year, they're teaching the people. They spent a year teaching from the Word of God. Teaching teaching them the scriptures, teaching these new believers about the God of the Old Testament, teaching them about the message that Jesus proclaimed, teaching them theology because that is what will establish a church. That is what will strengthen a church. That is what will build a strong church is a solid foundation of theology, of scripture, of um, of of Bible-soaked teaching. And so they teach for a whole year. A great many people gather to hear the word. They're hungry and Saul and Barnabas teach and teach and teach and teach and teach. Now it's important here to notice that the churches, they, they didn't just rock up and go, all right, um, you guys go and plant a church over there. You guys go and plant a church over there. You guys, because we're, a, we're just about mission. That's what we're about. So you, let's go. Get ready. They didn't do that. They spend time to establish the church. You see, mission and evangelism is the Siamese twin of establishing and building and strengthening. They're always meant to go together. And that's some, um, I don't even know where I am in my notes anymore. I just got a little bit carried away then. Um, yeah, where am I? That's it. I think that's one of the weaknesses often of short-term mission is because it's, Preach the gospel and leave. You became a Christian, good. Tap you on the back. See you later. We'll pray for you. You prayed the prayer. You're in the kingdom. And, and, and what we see Paul and Barnabas doing here is as people come to faith, they establish them. They strengthen them. They build them up in the faith. That's why Jesus, um, in his great commission, when he says to them, go and make disciples, he adds to that. And then teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's, it's, it's outward-looking mission and it's inward-focused strengthening and building up. They always go together. That is the strategy of the New Testament. Preach the gospel, plant churches, establish churches, strengthen them, send them off and plant new churches yourself. That is the New Testament strategy. And if it wasn't for that strategy, none of us would be here today. 
church, uh, the church's mission is, is both, the church's purpose rather, is both mission and maturity. It's both evangelism and establishing people in the faith. That's really important. Because I think often we can default to one of those two. And I think the church is actually really good at just defaulting to the inward looking, sit around in a circle, read the Bible and encourage each other because that's a lot easier than being out there engaging with, with people who are hostile to the message that we want to speak. You know, I've, um, I've talked to a lot of pastors about their church and you know, the weaknesses that they think that exist in their church and the problems that they're facing. Not once have I ever heard a pastor say to me, you know what, our problem is we do too much evangelism. I mean, oh, it's so unhealthy for our church. There's so much evangelism happening. I just can't get people to be established. I've never heard that because our default is often holy huddle, strength and established, Bible, 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 and not enough mission and engaging with the culture around us. So first we need to um, speak the good news. We win. Secondly, we build and establish. And thirdly, we send. Have a look at verse 27. Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. All over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to, dis- to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. I love the sensitivity of this church to the Spirit and to the Word of God. Barnabas comes and he, he prophesies and this, this church is such a soft heart to the Word of God. They hear and they act and they act in generosity and they start to gather a collection and they send it back with Paul and Barnabas to the church in Jerusalem. Now, where did this church get that sensitivity to the Spirit from? from their pastor Barnabas. Because in verse 24, he is described as being a man who is full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith. They often say that your church is reflective of the pastor. That's a bit of a scary, that's a bit of a scary reality. Uh, it's a motivator for me as well. But here, this church reflects its pastor Barnabas. They are sensitive to the Spirit. They act. They begin to send. Immediately, this church is involved in sending finances back to support their mother church. But it's not just money that this church sends. I'm going to skip forward to Acts chapter 13, verse 1, and you see that this church actually sends their best, their most central key leaders. Have a look at verse 1 of chapter 13. Now, there were in the church at Antioch, Prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. That's why we, in an attempt to try and Um, show to our church this is what we're about, lay hands on our GC leaders and send you out to to be on mission in this city because that's what we want to be about as a church, laying hands and sending. And so they lay hands on these men and they send their best. They send their best to their, their key preachers and teachers and they send them to be on mission. Church planting is 
God's strategy. It is his strategy to push back the darkness, to establish his kingdom, and to, to save, build, and send disciples. That, it is God's strategy. And we see here the Spirit is involved in this work. The Spirit is the one who planted the church in Antioch. The Spirit is the one who calls Paul and Barnabas. The Spirit is the one who sends them out. He, God himself is planting churches because he is a missionary God and Antioch is our true mother church. The Gentile church looks to Antioch as our mother church because the pattern that we see here is the pattern that all churches ought to be engaged in. Bring, build, send, bring, build, send, bring, build, send over and over and over and over again. It's the paradigm for us. Bring, build, send. Win, build, send. It's a strategy that Jesus himself had. In Matthew 4.19, he calls the disciples to himself and he says, Come follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Between the call that they received and their sending as disciple makers as fishers of men, Jesus spent three years in the middle establishing them, training them, equipping them for the mission that he was going to send them to. Now, to be sure, they needed the empowering presence of the Spirit. But that's, that's Jesus' strategy. Come, follow me. That's the, that's the bring, that's the win. He spends three years training them, equipping them. That's the established, that's the build. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And he sends them out. Bring, build, send. Win, build, send. But remember, above all of this strategy, above the pattern that we see there, we could follow that pattern. Above all of that is the power of God through the Spirit doing His thing. This is God's mission that we get to partner with Him in doing. And so this morning, I want to ask you, where are you at? Where do you find yourself at in that, in that journey? Along those three steps, where do you find yourself at? Maybe you're at step one. Jesus wants to make you his. You know, in, um, in this narrative here, we find out that um, the, the, the church here, for the first time, is called Christians. Very first time in Antioch, probably a derogatory term, but they're called Christians. Why are they called Christians? Because they were all about Christ. They're all about Jesus. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you need to know what it means to be a Christian is not about following religious obligations and it's not about a sense of duty. This is about a personal and dynamic relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're Christians because we worship and live for Jesus, seek to make Jesus famous. Why? Because we know that without Christ, without his death, without his resurrection, that all of us face hell. We face a Christless eternity because on the cross, Jesus died for our sins. He washed us clean. He gave us new life. And he brought us back into relationship with God. That's why we worship Jesus, because of what he has done. And so if you wouldn't identify as a follower of Jesus here this morning, 
We want you to know that Jesus wants to make you his. He wants relationship with you. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants to set you free from the chains that, that hold you in bondage. And he's done that by dying on the cross for your sin. But maybe you already identify as a Christian. You say, yes, I love Jesus. I follow Jesus. I'm in. Jesus wants to establish you and build you up in the faith. That's Paul's desire for the church in Colossians. He says to them that my prayer is that you would be rooted and built up in the faith, built up in Jesus Christ, established in the faith. God's desire is not for you to be stagnant, to go backwards, to be still, to be weak. He wants you to be established and built up and strengthened. That's his purpose for his church. And he will use the preaching of the word in the Sunday gathering. He will use your gospel community. He will use your gospel triplet. He will use books and podcasts, whatever means out there, as he applies the word by the Spirit to your life to establish and strengthen you. Jesus wants to establish you in the faith because he doesn't want you to sit idle. He doesn't want spectators in his church. He wants to send you. And so finally, Jesus wants to send some of you, and for the rest of us, he wants to live sent. Jesus wants to send some of you, and for the rest of us, he wants us to live sent. You know, our vision of being mul- of multiplication happening at every level of our church is that we want to see new, church, new gospel communities planted. New gospel communities sent out so that we can scatter this, uh, the, these communities of light across our city. We want to see our city covered with gospel communities. Uh, for me, the, the little vision pin for me is uh, in our backend database, we've got this group locator. And it's a Google map and it drops a pin on all of the gospel communities as they, uh, where they meet on a, on a weeknight. And I, I love seeing new pins popping up as we multiply new gospel communities. My vision is for that, that map just to be covered in red pins across our city. We want to multiply gospel communities. Your gospel community is God's primary mission strategy for this world. If you realize that, you are God's primary mission strategy for this world. He is sending us and we are to live sent now. But he also wants us to plant new churches. To plant new churches, to plant churches in places that need to hear about Jesus, to reach and engage cultures where the church is failing to do that. He wants us to plant new churches. That's always been the New Testament uh, push and impetus and thrust is that new churches would be evangelized into existence. And so we're committed to that. That's our vision. Our internship program has been a part of trying to identify young guys that we could train up, establish, and send out to plant. In fact, Ruth and Scotty have been walking through the process of assessment with pioneers so that they can go off and be sent out from us as missionaries to go and plant churches, establish people in the faith. That's what we're about. We're so excited to do that in the future. And so that means that we have to walk through some hard gospel goodbyes, doesn't it? That as our gospel communities multiply, I know at least when ours did, there was lots of leaky eyes, lots of tears, as we said goodbye to people that we've loved to go and start a new gospel community down the road. Now, yeah, we get to see them on Sunday. But we need to do, we're going to be required to do that 
at much greater cost when we send people out from this gathering altogether to a new mission field somewhere else. A gospel goodbye is the cost of what it looks like. And that also means that we need to support prayerfully, financially. We need to get behind those whom we are sending. But it's not just about multiplying and sending. It's actually about us embodying a sent identity, that we would live sent. Not just, um, I think that's my daughter. Is that my child? I think it is. Um, that, that we would live sent, not just missionaries, not just church planters, not just gospel community leaders, but you. Living as someone who has been established in the faith for the purpose of being sent on mission. All of us. That's our identity. We are ambassadors for Christ. We're his representatives. And this, you, all of us, I just want to say it again. You are God's primary mission strategy for this city. Filled with the Holy Spirit, desperate for a move of God. It's our vision. This is our prayer. Win, build, send. Win, build, send. Win, build, send. Repeat, 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 repeat. Disciples will make disciples and make disciples and make disciples. Let me close quickly by sharing a story with you. The story of a man that I met a couple of years ago, his name is Ralph Moore, and in 1971, he planted a church with his wife in California. And after uh, 13 years or 12 years, they felt called by God after planting 29 other churches from their mother church to go and plant in Hawaii. And so they did that. And today, uh, I think it's called Hope Chapel, the Hope Chapel Network that Ralph Moore started has planted 700 churches since 1971 that's a move of God that's a church that's a people who are being obedient to what Jesus has called them to do to be involved engaged in the mission of seeing disciples made and churches planted but that kind of got me thinking what's our own story what's Sydney's story of this will you remember that the first fleet landed with a chaplain his name was Richard Johnson he was the first church planter the first preacher and the first church was planted in Sydney in Australia, in Sydney, on the corner of Hunter and Castle Ray Street. And there's still a little statue there. You can go see it. And the Anglicans were the pioneers of church planting in Australia. Good on the Anglicans, right? They were the pioneers of church planting in Australia. And I, I counted, and this is just a, a Google search, there are 269 Anglican churches in Sydney currently. That doesn't count all the ones that are shut down, the buildings that have been turned into museums and art galleries and restaurants or whatever else they get turned into. 270 churches, Anglican churches in Australia. How did that start? How did we get from one church plant on the corner of Hunter and Castle Ray Street to 270 churches today? Tell me. We planted churches. Well, not us. The Anglicans planted churches, and good on them. Church planting is it? We, none of this would exist. If churches didn't plant churches that didn't plant churches that didn't plant churches. And yes, churches will rise and churches will fall. But the mission that God has of calling people in, strengthening them, and then sending them out will continue till Jesus returns. And so let's play our part in that. We're going to respond to our great God this morning and what He is doing in our lives in three ways. And as the band comes up now, we're going to... Um, we're going to worship. We're going to praise our good God. We're going to praise Him that He calls us to be a part of this mission. 
Our prayer team is available. They would love to pray for you. If you have any need whatsoever this morning, our prayer team is available to pray for you. You can identify someone, our prayer team, with the orange lanyard that is around their neck. And they're going to be to the sides and up the back available for you to pray. If you would like to become a Christian, if you would like to give your life to Jesus this morning, then that team would love to walk you through a prayer of receiving Christ. And we're going to respond in the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate this meal together. There are four stations around the auditorium here with bread and grape juice. And for those of you who love Jesus, who worship Jesus, who have been called in and included in Christ, then this meal is for you. This is a reminder of what Christ has done for us. As you take the bread, as you dip it in the grape juice, as you eat it, remember that Jesus has not just saved me, but that he has also sent me. He's not just saved me, he has also sent me. And so we're going to respond and pray and worship. And uh, where's the rest of the band? They're coming. All right. Let me pray. Let me pray. God, we want to thank you this morning that we are caught up in this incredible story that you are writing. We thank you that you are the missionary God, that you are the God who is committed to seeing your name worshipped, your name glorified, that you pour out your spirit, that you send people, that you strengthen us, that you call people to yourself. God, would you help us to play our part in that? We want to be in on this. We don't want to waste our lives, Lord, being busy with work and social calendars. God, we want to pour ourselves out for the sake of your kingdom so that the darkness would be pushed back in the name of Jesus, lifted up. Fill us with your spirit for this, we pray. In the strong name of Jesus, amen.